Good day, everybody, and thank you so much for being part of our weekly Bible studies. As you know, we took a break last week, and uh, we are back in the saddle now. And I've decided that we're going to just put the parables on hold for a little bit. Um, I know we did many of them, um, and there still are a number of them to go. But I thought, let's just uh, make a slight change. And over the next couple of weeks, we are going to tackle something that for many people seems quite intimidating, and that is Psalm 119. And um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there right now. Um, just to give you a clue, it's pretty much in the middle of the Bible. And I'll explain in a moment as to why it's quite intimidating for people. But um, let's do what we always do, and that is just to pause for a moment and to invite God into the space. So let's do that. Lord, we are reminded again that uh, your word speaks to us. And when we spend time and energy reflecting on it and and really trying to dig deeper into it, that you do reveal yourself to us. And so we thank you for the entire canon of the scriptures, but today especially we thank you uh, for Psalm 119 and for all that it has taught your followers over the last uh, 2,000 years. So open our hearts and minds today to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do I say Psalm 119 is very intimidating? And the reason why I say that is because it is just so long. Um, you go to any commentary, uh, any Bible that's got some application in it, and you will see that they say that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the entire Bible. That's right, in the entire Bible. So if you have it open there and you just flick over, you'll see that it covers many, many pages. Um, 176 verses. And um, we, we do know parts of Psalm 119 because there are parts in it that have become very popular over the years. And uh, we kind of reflect on a few parts of that. Like one of them, just as an example, would be verse 105, which says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Now, many people have heard that. But um, I come to, to do this Bible study on Psalm 119 because I feel that not only is the message of it very important, but that if we systematically went through it over a few weeks, hopefully we would then be able to tick it off as something that we've um, applied our minds to, but that also received some blessing um, from some of the verses that we just skip over or we are too intimidated to read through. So the first thing that we, we notice um, about Psalm 119, not, besides its length, is that in some of the versions of the, of the Bible, you would see they've actually broken it up into, um, into 22 sections. So this is an intentionally done. Each um, section correlates with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of those has eight lines or eight stanzas in it. So if you were opening your Bible to Psalm 119 right now and you looked at verse 1 to 8, just as a quick glance, that is a collection um, in, one, in one stanza, if you like, or one section, and that all relates to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. Okay, so... 
we miss this in, in the English translation because it doesn't come out in the same way. But this is what the scholars and, and what the, uh, the writers intentionally would refer to as an acrostic psalm, an acrostic piece of writing. Now, what happens when, when the writers do this is they begin each line. So, again, focus on verse 1 to 8. That'll be helpful. helpful. Each line begins with the letter of the alphabet. So this one, Psalm 119, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, all begin with the letter A, Aleph, okay, which is for, from where we get the Greek word alpha and um, also the derivative of the A in the English alphabet, okay. But, but that's, so that, that's just a very simple overview for, for us. It, it, you know, it can be more complicated than that. It is almost as if, and, and I think I've done this before in an in a, a in-person Bible study, is if you took the English uh, alphabet, the 26 letters, and you started with the letter A, and you began, to, you, you wrote eight lines or eight sentences, and, and each of those sentences had to be focused on some aspect of God, and you started with the letter A. Then you would go to the second set of eight, and then you would go to B and C and D and E and so on. So then you would have a lot more um, than what we do have in Psalm 119, but I think you, you understand the point. Now, why, why eight lines um, and, and why go through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet? Okay, well, let me simplify it. And that is to say that um, when the psalm was written and the author remains unknown, it could possibly have been David or Ezra. Those are probably the two that people would put their, their money on. Um, but let's just use the term the psalmist. The psalmist would have been writing uh, so that people would be able to memorize the scriptures. They were not blessed like we are today to have the copy of the Bible in our bookshelves, by our bedside, on our phone. The, the scriptures were very, very rare and very sacred, used only in the temples. And then later on, obviously, as writing became more and more common and paper and print and so on, so eventually the Bibles became more and more freely available. But the Psalm 119, like all the Psalms, in fact, most of the scriptures were written so that people could memorize them. And the easiest way to memorize something, um, it was thought, was to just start with the alphabet. So, and, and again, use the English, the letter A, there are eight things that we can speak about that relate to God in a positive way, A, and then go B, and then go C, and so on. So this, this was done by, by the writers. Um, but coming back to the idea of eight, well, there is a lot of um, thought that, that the reason why it is eight is because you will find in Psalm 119, in fact, in most of the, the scriptures in the Old Testament, there are eight synonyms used for the word scripture or Bible, which we use in common, common day terms. And these are, and I'll, I'll give you the English words and I'll try and pronounce some of the Hebrew, but I'm going to probably get that a bit wrong. Um, so the first word in Hebrew that is referred to in Psalm 119 um, at some point is the word dabar, and that that it directly translated is 
word. Then you have the next Hebrew word is Torah, which is the law. And then you have the Pequidim, which means precepts, the Hukum, which means statutes, uh, the Mispatim means ordinances, uh, the Miswat, commandments, the Edot, testimonies, and the Imra, promise. So all of those, if we look at them in English, word, law, precepts, statutes, ordinances, commandments, testimonies, promise, they all relate to what we would speak about as the law, the word of God that comes to us. And, and so Psalm 119 is about the sacredness and about the beauty and the gift of the word of God and how that when we embrace it, when we obey it, when we allow it to be part of our lives, we indeed are blessed. Now, there, um, there are many people that have referred to Psalm 119 historically as being one of the Psalms that is like par excellence. Um, it was said that people like St. Patrick prayed Psalm 119 daily, uh, Augustine um, and Martin Luther, even David Livingston, they all learned Psalm 119 off by heart. And in fact, the priests in the Middle Ages had to recite Psalm 119 on a daily basis. Yes, that's all 176 verses, and they had to memorize um, memorize it, as well as reading through the whole of the Psalms at least once a week. There's a legend that tells us that Gregory the Great refused to ordain any new bishops if they couldn't recite all of the Psalms by heart. So, yeah, look, I think I definitely would have failed that exam, but um, the idea I'm just trying to get to is that the Psalms, and in particularly Psalm 119, were held in such high esteem that we as modern-day Christians should also try and, and get into that and appreciate it. I mean, each word, the idea of this is that each word in the Scriptures, and certainly in this Psalm, gives us some insight into the author, and they reveal the love of God, who is the author of life, by the words that we read. And the other intention is that they also reveal to us the light and the guidance that God wants us to have. God wants us to be blessed or to be happy, um, not in the modern day terms, but, but to be at peace and be at rest. And the way that God is inviting us into that is by following his commands. Um, someone else has described the Psalms and the Scriptures as being a guidebook. It's, it's directions. It's an instruction that a careful parent would give to a child that is dearly loved. You know, and, and, and so sadly we, we misunderstand the law and the word and so on as being God uh, trying to kind of spoil our fun or to restrict us. But in, in the, the times that it was written, it was understood that God was loving his children so much that he would give them these instructions. Okay, so friends, I've given a quite a quite a broad overview of Psalm 119, and um, my plan is that we're going to take it over a couple of weeks um, and and then have a look at it because, you know, as the old saying goes, what's the best way to eat an elephant? Uh, it is one bite at a time. Um, I'm not going to do one verse a week because that's certainly going to take us 176 weeks, which um, I think is a little bit too long. But I'm, I'm hoping that we could at least 
for today look at um, the first 16 verses um, in, a, in a quite a broad overview. But I think as we read through, you will get the gist of what the author is trying to say. So remember verse 1 to 8, begin in the original language with the letter Aleph, and the Jewish children and the adults would have learned it by heart. But let's read it in English, and and we'll see where it takes us. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Verse 1, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. So that is verse 2. Now, just pause. Um, If you don't mind marking in your Bible, you can do this, or you could just take note of it or write it on a piece of paper. But do you you notice just in in already that the pattern we're seeing is that in, in the verses, there is a a a reference to the law, the word, the ordinances, the commands, statutes, and so on. So verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Okay. Um, Some scholars have uh, debated this over the years, but have come to pretty much a conclusion that out of the 176 verses in Psalm 119, 171 of them include a reference to the scriptures or the law. And the other ones obviously tenuously, but effectively you would find that, if you're looking for it, you would find it in every verse. Verse 2, you'll see it here, that the word is statutes. So blessed are those who keep God's statutes and seek him with all of their heart. They do no wrong, they follow his ways. We could argue that that word ways would be the commands of God. Verse verse 4, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Verse verse 5, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. So you see there's already we've come across the word law, the word statutes, the word ways, uh, precepts, and now we have the word decrees. Verse 6, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. Okay, so there's commands. And I praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. So you'll see that there's repetition. But it's a very powerful thing to to think about how this piece of literature has been written to glorify the word of God, that God's law, statutes, ways, precepts, decrees, commands, all of this are here to keep us on the right path and to help us to know God and to to honor God. Um, And and as I say, I'm just doing a little brief overview of this, but I think you get the gist of what the first eight um, verses mean and what they relate to. Then we come to the next eight, which is from verse 9 to 16, and this is the they all start with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is bet. And um, what is interesting is that the word law doesn't appear in, in these verses, in, in the original language, but the word promise and word do, plus a few other ones. Just a little bit of information for you. So it start, this one starts with a question. 
How can a young person stay on the path of purity? So that's a question I think most parents would want to, to ask. Um, basically anybody who has young children or teenagers in the community would be saying, you know, how can we keep these, these young people on the narrow path, on the path of God? And the answer comes by living according to your word. Then um, uh, verse 10, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Perhaps just going back to verse 9 for a moment, this, this reference to a young person, it's quite reminiscent of, of the writer in Proverbs, many of them written by Solomon, but, but um, just let's just use the, the term the writer of the Proverbs, would often speak about, uh, listen, my son, or listen to my advice, my son. And, and it's, it's as if they were written to a particular young person, a young man in those times, um, and they were giving them pearls of wisdom, how to live their lives, how to live the godly life and stay on track with God. Um, this is this is the similar kind of spirit coming through in this part is you know how do we you know how do we instruct young people to stay on the path? And the answer is by living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart and do not let me stray from your commands. Now those two, interesting, the words seek and stray um, are, both, are both deliberate acts of the will. You know, if you or I wake up and say, look, I really want to read the word of God, I really want to seek God, it's, it's a deliberate act of the will. Um, I can't just think it, I must actually put it into action. And straying away from God's commands is the same thing. So straying is a deliberate act act of the will to move away from what God has commanded us. So there's this um, this plea, if you like, that I will seek you with all my heart, so don't let me stray. Okay, I'll just leave it like that. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a beautiful picture, and this is something I know we have come across before, is this whole idea of preparing ourselves um, for what may lie in the future by storing up within our heart the commands of God. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 says a similar thing, store up my commands within you. And, and this is what I think as Christians we should all be doing, is that we, we are hiding the word of God in our heart, in a, obviously in a metaphorical sense, so that when the moment comes, when the moment of testing and temptation comes, we will not fall into the sin. It's as if we are putting the resources of God into our hearts and lives in preparation for the moment where we will be tested. And I often have commented about how sometimes people who are, can I be fair and say maybe lukewarm in their faith or maybe only attend church every now and again, um, how when things go wrong in their lives or when they make bad choices or so on, they're very quick to say, you know, God has deserted them. Uh, or they try to call out to God and they find they just don't have the resources in that moment to deal with their issues. And, and for that reason, I would say we as, as Christ followers should keep reading the scriptures so that we are building up this, this great store of resources. Because we know 
that the, the problems and the testing and the illnesses and all those things still come to us. Um, we, we aren't exempt from that. But what would help us through that is the store of resources that we get to pull on and we draw on them in our times of difficulty. Because often in those times, we may not feel like reading the word or we may feel a little bit angry with God, but we still have this resource, this underwater water supply, if you like, that's there to keep us going. Verse 12, praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Now, this also is a way of, of showing us that that when we learn the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, and we speak them out, either in prayers and songs, that what happens is that they're coming from this deep place within us, but it also helps us to remember them. So the psalmist is saying that, that with his lips he will recount everything that he's stored up within himself. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. So there's obviously this play, this comparison, that the, the statutes and the law and the word of God are so beautiful, so powerful, so rich, that the, the psalmist is able to say that, that I'm rejoicing in, in receiving this as much as I would in having great material riches. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I wanted to just make a note about this particular part because I think, again, this leads to an implication that when we meditate on the Word of God and, and just try and separate the Eastern philosophy of meditation, but to meditate means to, to ruminate on, to read again and to reflect and to pray and to read again and to reflect and to pray. So that when the psalmist is saying, I meditate on your precepts, he's like spending time. It's, it's the time issue. And consider your ways. When you... If you ask somebody a question, you know, um, would you would you be able to do X or Y for us? The person would say, look, I will consider it and get back to you. That simply means that they will spend some time thinking on it. And the word of God is not meant to be read like, it's not a microwave kind of moment in our lives. It's a It's there for us to meditate on and to consider. And to allow that, when we do that, to, to deepen our faith, to build those foundations. Um, it's, it's why many of the church mothers and fathers and people that we would consider to be saints, why their lives seemed, seemed so in tune with God is because they spend time, hours and hours, meditating and considering the ways of God. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees, I will not neglect your word. And um, I, I think this is a lovely way to end off for us today, is where we, where we see God's word. And, and yes, friends, I'll be the first to admit that there are parts of the scriptures. We read in Judges and in Chronicles and a few other parts where it seems pretty harsh what we're reading. But when we read the whole uh, scripture as, you know, basically as one whole, we should be able to delight in the word of God and that by committing to not neglect in the word that we would be fed, spiritually we'll be fed by what God reveals to us and, 
and, and how we can draw from these treasures that God gives to us. So I hope that's been helpful and insightful for you, and I hope that you would go and reread. And like I've often said to us, those of you who've listened to this before, um, perhaps get a different version of the Bible. Read the one you have now, and then maybe go to a different version and see if anything else pops out at you um, just in those first 16 verses. And then next week we will go a bit further into the psalm. I know some of you want to read on ahead, and you're welcome to do that, but I will just take it bit by bit over the next few weeks, and we'll see where it gets us. Thank you very much, friends. Have a blessed week, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.